Hey, it's Greg. We've got another deep dive episode from a while back that I think you're really going to enjoy. In this one, Matthew and Cena and Mark Contreras speak with licensed therapist Marie Elena. They talk about their struggles with communication, leadership, and the invisible pressure of working here at the future. Let me tell you, they get real in this talk. It's a very transparent discussion about what life is like under our roof, warts and all. This is a long one, but I think it's well worth a listen. So grab a snack, get comfortable, and enjoy our conversation with Marie Elena. Um, yeah, we call it the after hours. After hours. Is it? Because it is after hours, almost. Going on my watch. <laughs> least, depending on what industry you're in, right? If you're, yeah. many industries are working till 10, 11. Yeah. And then the after hours start at 2 a.m. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. well, even or they for, have They keep going. They go around the clock, 24 hours. Yeah, then it's yeah. really hard to be, you know, empathic and have good communication because you're so overtired and your biorhythms are off that, right. you know, it's hard to be present and be conscious about the way you're communicating. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super interesting because I think about my, my father. Mm-hmm. My father, the whole time we grew up, he's worked the graveyard shift. Wow. So he's worked from... 12 a.m. to 6 or 7. Mm. And my mom, she worked during the day. So they were always apart. There's like a little overlap where they were in the mm-hmm. in the house at the same time. But they did that strategically so somebody's always home with us yeah. when we were young kids. But I know my father always had communication issues. Mm-hmm. And like I think a lot of that rubbed off on me. He's a lot better now. He's retired. As are you. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that that was something that's interesting because I never thought about how that might affect your, like your ultradian rhythms or just mm-hmm. like your, just your biology, right? Because your body is not meant to work from those hours necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it's used to getting the vitamin D mm-hmm. and being productive during the day. So it's interesting. Like my brain is just percolating now because I'm, I'm mapping it to him and my experience growing up, which is... I don't know where it's going to take me, but that's what I'm thinking about. Well, what comes forward for me is like your cortisol level goes up when you don't sleep or when you're missing sleep or you get poor quality sleep or your sleep is off of a natural like bio, you know, mm-hmm. biorhythm or cycle. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, it puts you into kind of a stress response state. Right. So everything is kind of catastrophic, right? It's like right. you drop something on the floor and instead of being like, oh, I dropped that on the floor, it's like, oh my God, I dropped that on the floor. <laughs> right. you know? So everything is more intense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I even think about myself if I have a tough night's sleep and the way that I interact with my kids, right? It's mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. a little short and, you mm-hmm. know, I try to be conscious about explaining t- to them why. Mm-hmm. And then what's great about kids is they're they're just so pure it's kind of hard to be mad at them for any length of time Mm -hmm. um so they kind of take you back to being present and Mm. for me at least it's it's about okay well i really need to watch what i'm saying right now because they're looking to me it's like with binoculars on Mm. and actually it's correlated to leadership i'm reading a book right now that i really like called um setting the table by danny meyer danny meyer's a restaurateur in new york Mm -hmm. he had like union square cafe and gramercy tavern and tabla and um Mm. 11 madison i don't know if you're familiar with any of those but he's applying the rules of hospitality to business Mm -hmm. and um 
anyway, he talks about uh, in 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 the book. He, he says many like really wise things about leadership and management. He talks one thing I really like that he says is when you're hiring, you should look for fifty one forty nine percent EQ. Uh, technical ability. So sometimes when we're hiring, we look for people that are really competent and great at their craft Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus have strong interpersonal skills. And when he's hiring, he looks for the flip. It's 51% EQ, ability Mm -hmm. to you know, relate to people, interpersonal uh, communication skills, things like that. And then 49% technical ability. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, you know, it's a better recipe because you can always teach someone the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. The other stuff is a little bit, it's a little bit harder. Right, right, right. So in that book or in his restaurants, does he have a process where he's able to teach EQ, the empathy, the self-awareness? Is he able to teach those soft skills? Well, he has a, he does what he calls rounds, similar to the way a, a medical doctor would, right? So, because there's mm. so many restaurants, he would go around and to mm-hmm. each restaurant and make sure that he's at each one at least a certain amount of time during the day. Mm-hmm. And I think his philosophy is this thing called gentle, gentle, constant pressure. Mm-hmm. So that there's, you know, a reminder always of what the standard is and that right. everybody understands what the standard is and that mm-hmm. there's an agreement about it. I think he uses the word expectation, but the way he describes it, I would say it's an agreement when he does the hiring mm-hmm. that people are on board with mm-hmm. providing a level of service that is different than maybe that they would get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And another thing I love about that book is he says there's this distinction between hospitality and service. Service is the delivery of, of a product, mm-hmm. and hospitality is the way that the delivery of that product makes the recipient feel. Mm-hmm. And with leadership, it's the same. It's like you can, you can say something to someone and give them direction, and there's a difference between just telling them to do something like, okay, I need you to go, you know, bring in $7.5 million worth of revenue this mm-hmm. month versus really delivering it so that you feel empowered, like to mm. be a part of the process and the larger, the larger whole of I the see. organization, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what does that look like? So if you're to dem- disseminate some type of, um, you know, request to an individual, Rather than just saying, "Here's the goal; you should do it." Mm-hmm. Like, how do you make that more, um, you know, inviting to the person to, so that they can participate? Yeah, I think it's about inquiry. So, okay. one key phrase that's really helpful in any conversation is, "What are your thoughts?" It sounds so simplistic, mm-hmm. and if you're if you're stating something and you want to make make it a conversation versus a monologue. Mm-hmm. You invite someone into the conversation by saying, well, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. And you have okay. to say it in a tone that's authentic, mm-hmm. right? That you mm-hmm. really do care yeah. what they're thinking about because right. so much of what a listener takes away is less about the words and more about the inflection, the tone, the volume, the body language, the eye contact, those kinds of things are much more powerful. It's actually only 7% of the 100% pie mm-hmm. is actually the words. Mm. 54%, I think, is bone uh, tone, volume, and inflection. And then there's the body language and eye contact. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah. So to invite someone in and say, what are your thoughts? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then as you have that conversation, even if you have different opinions, 
and you're in a position where you really need to make a decision and send someone off with a goal, you have to find a way to ensure that they understood what you want them to do. So many times what happens in situations like that is a boss will say to someone, okay, I need you to do this. And the person will go, okay. And they may even be writing something down in their notebook. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the boss will go on or the leader will go on and on about what needs to get done. Mm -hmm. And they nod, right? Mm -hmm. And then, okay, great, meeting's over. Right. And then off everybody goes. And they come back and typically it's different. They have different, um, some, they bring back something different than what the request was. Right. So in order to make that happen differently, it would be, so here's what I need you to do. And then the person, you, you would ask, it's called um, reverse active listening. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the person sitting there um, that's taking in the information might say, okay. And if that happens, then the boss's responsibility is to say, okay, tell me what you heard. Mm -hmm. And then the person can repeat it back. Mm -hmm. And if there's any discrepancy in what the person is saying, then the leader has the opportunity to jump in and say, actually, let me clarify that. I see. Right. And from there, you can make an agreement, set some markers, milestones, and then that becomes a process of accountability. I see. Right. And I think it can work the reverse way too, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes um, people who work under a leader expect mm -hmm. them to have all the answers but sometimes the leader will also assume that everybody understands mm -hmm. what is being said. Right. So this tool works both for the leader and for the person receiving it, who's receiving the order. So I actually just wrote about this today where when I do critiques, I do it this way. Um, I will observe something. It's like, I feel, I feel this way because, mm -hmm. I feel this way because of this specific things. What I recommend we go is do this, mm -hmm. and here's why, because I feel like it needs to address this goal or milestone, something that we're aiming towards. So that's how I realign. But at the same time, a designer or artist or somebody who's working with me can use those same tools if I'm not being clear. Mm -hmm. So if I say, you know, I want this to be more exciting, they could turn around and ask me those same questions. Well, what do you mean mm -hmm. by exciting? What part of this should be exciting? Is it this, the speed, the tone, the mm -hmm. colors? What right. does that mean to you? And then how will we know when we get there? So it's kind of like a double, a yeah. two-sided thing where mm -hmm. it doesn't, like I think leaders have to be really good at empowering their team and mm -hmm. setting the example for sure. But I think you as, you know, if you're working underneath many, many layers, mm -hmm. you still have the ability to get clarity on goals and, and, and work on your own communication skills because these are the things that are going to make you more valuable and move up. Mm-hmm. Well, and it reminds me of leaders that lack great, clear, directive communication often need staff underneath them who are willing to manage up in the way that you're talking about. So mm -hmm. if they're in a conversation about what setting goals or on a project mm -hmm. that the staff will say, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you've said X, Y, and Z, is that accurate? Yeah. So the, the, you the leader put can, it back on. You, it's like they summarize. Right. And I do this in every conversation I have with, a, you know, whether it be a client or, you know, an organization is after the meeting, I will go ahead and summarize. So this is what I heard. Uh, tell me if it's accurate. Did I miss anything? Mm -hmm. So that I'm making sure that whatever I heard is actually what they meant. Right. Right. And that's a form of showing that you were listening mm -hmm. and that you were present. 
Right, right. So I just wanted to take a moment here to introduce you because mm-hmm. I know we just dropped in live here and I, you know, I just wanted to give a little bit of time for us to warm up on the conversation, but also for audience members to come in. So this is our after hour series. I'm not Christo, Christo is not here. <laughs> so we wanted to try something a little bit different. Uh, today we have Maria Elena. And uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself to the audience or introduce yourself to me. You don't have to look anywhere. <laughs> I know it's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. And I met uh, Matthew through a client of mine at an mm-hmm. ad agency who uh, spoke very highly of, of him and just thought we should meet, um, that we would hit it off. And of course, when I first came to have a conversation with you, we thought it would be like half an hour and we ended up talking for two hours. (laughs) So that was great. Um, And I'm a leadership coach, trainer and facilitator. And I work with helping leaders become conscious and effective. And that's my goal. And I focus a lot on communication and self-awareness and really using experiences to apply skills. So I might teach or train a certain group of people on um, different modules within a leadership curriculum and then coach them one-on-one maybe twice monthly to make sure that those skills are getting anchored. And then they come into the sessions with problems, challenges, things that they're dealing with in -hmm. the workplace Mm -hmm. that then we can pause, slow the conversation down. They have time to think and process Mm -hmm. and then explore different points of view, different ways to use the skills to resolve an issue that they may have done differently in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's even a profession or position like yours, Mm -hmm. but it makes total sense because if you look in an organization, usually the employees look to the leaders, Mm -hmm. but where do the leaders look? Mm -hmm. They might look to the owner, but there's nowhere else to look or seek in terms of well, what about me? Because I think a lot of leaders, I think the good leaders are very uh, selfless mm-hmm. and they're not selfish, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones who are being good servant leaders but they're yeah. giving so much of them, themselves because they know if they allow their employees to be the best version of themselves, that is the most productive for the company, right? That's the best where they're gonna scale all the, everything that's good about that, that company. But at the end of the day, you have the leaders who's the support for them. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I think that's the reason why I wanted to have you on because some of our audience, they're in this position, mm-hmm. you know, either they're right in the middle and they're kind of getting pulled in all different mm-hmm. ends or there's such high expectations of them. And I feel this quite a bit working here uh, where they have to deal with these types of pressures and there's not necessarily another outlet where they can either vent to or even seek advice or comfort or trying to figure out well, what do I do now that the pressure's all on me? Yeah, and I think a lot of leaders are, it can be very isolating because you feel like you have, you're often privy to information that other mm. people are, mm-hmm. you know, less aware of. Um, and it can be, it can be a lonely space. Mm-hmm. And just as professional athletes, you know, mm. the, the coaching profession came out of athletics and mm. sports and acting. That's where it, you know, it originated. And if you think about it, professional athlete, they would never be without a coach, right? Right. And, and right. leaders, for some reason, if they arrive at a certain level in their career, um, some of them feel like, well, why would I need a coach? Right. Mm. And really what the answer is, it's like, that's the best time to have a coach, right? right? Because you're kind of by yourself at the top of the pyramid. And, and now 
well, in theory you are. I like right. what you said about servant leadership and kind of flipping that pyramid upside down and saying, mm-hmm. and, and I do share this with a lot of my clients, and this is how I approach my work, which is how can I serve? Mm-hmm. How can I serve you? How can I serve today? Mm-hmm. Um, what can I do to serve this organization? And I encourage my leaders to think the same way, which is if you have multiple staff underneath you, they're not there to serve you. You're there to serve them. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting shift in a lot of people's mindsets. Mm-hmm. And it takes a minute to understand the value of that. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that there was um, there was a, a client that I was working with that I was given a lot of feedback from his staff. And I had to put together the feedback in a format that I use. Um, which is a productive format for feedback. It includes the feedback itself and acknowledgement Mm. about the person, Mm -hmm. the value or the benefit uh, to the person if they implement the feedback, and then what Mm. skill or training they need to to make that feedback or make that change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was... I was. I presented the feedback to the, at this point, um, was the president of the organization. And... A few weeks later, I was meeting with one of his direct reports, who is a a VP, and the VP said, I think he's making a lot of progress. And I said, what makes you say that? And he said, because when I was meeting with him one-on-one, he said, what can I do to serve you? Wow. And I was like, that's so cool. It had an impact, you know? So, and I think that kind of question is so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Because it makes the staff feel like they're so important to you mm-hmm. that you would serve them as a leader right. and that it, it does flip that hierarchy thing right. on its on its head mm-hmm. and you were talking about vulnerability so mm-hmm. i mean that really plays into that servant leadership because mm-hmm. to the people that work for you when they see that vulnerability it's like okay well now i don't feel like you're just a boss telling me what to do i can have voice and you'll listen and i think that's how um you know, a good leader should kind of carry themselves, but something that's difficult to, to learn. It's also difficult if you have a lot of leaders that are ego-based, right? So we mm-hmm. talked about this before I think we went live and how much mm-hmm. ego can uh, be a detriment to leadership. Mm-hmm. And true leadership is about being humble. I think you used a different word, Matthew, but I'm, I'm thinking about the vulnerability part that Mark mentioned. Mm-hmm. So that's showing that you're not perfect, you have flaws, you do make mistakes, and you're willing to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? That, and what that does is it models it for them. So then they're willing and they feel like it's possible for them to make a mistake and it, to be okay. And then, you, then that translates to a culture of learning mm-hmm. and right. growth. Mm-hmm. versus everything has to be perfect and if you don't get it right, right. you're out of here. Not a dictatorship. Right. <laughs> so the vulnerability part is so important and it, it, you know, in our society for years it was thought of as a weakness and really in my perspective from a leadership perspective it's a strength. Mm-hmm. If you're able to do that and show vulnerability that's a really, really important leadership quality. Mm-hmm. How do you advise someone that is maybe more soft-spoken to be assertive in that way but still carry you know that vulnerability because me myself i feel like i'm a little more soft-spoken but i still mm-hmm. feel like i can improve how assertive i am when i talk and um, explain things to people mm, so t- tell me more about about that part that last part about you feel like you could um, improve on becoming more assertive right 
Um, maybe it comes mainly from my approach. I think I'm a little bit more soft in delivery mm -hmm. and how I talk. And I think that's just my upbringing. Uh, uh -huh. My parents were very kind of, um, you know, very open and comforting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they weren't very, um, you know, demanding and kind of directing, I would say. So that was, you know, in our household. But for myself, I feel like when I'm speaking to people that I'm trying to delegate work to, mm -hmm. um, I sometimes have trouble trying to be very clear and assertive about what is expected and mm -hmm. what the need is. Yeah, and I think I just want to acknowledge you for being a quiet leader, first and foremost, because mm -hmm. I think quiet leaders are undervalued in our society. There's a, there's a misperception that the loudest voice in the room is the most intelligent or right. the most important. And what I've observed is that the people that are quiet are speaking when they really have value to add. Mm. And... You know, in terms of delivery, it's it's really about just being clear and setting up those agreements with whomever you're giving that direction to. And I think that you can do that in whatever way feels authentic to you. And if your mm -hmm. way is more nurturing and, you know, calm and quiet versus assertive and directive, mm -hmm. you got to own that. That's That's a really positive influence in the environment. Got it. And, you know, is there any, is there anything inside of you that feels like you're giving them an out by being, is there less of a, a goal oriented uh, expectation on the table or is it, tell me more about the softness part. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's more in how I carry myself when I speak rather than the thoughts and ideas in explaining what mm -hmm. that goal is. So maybe it's more, like you said, like, um, I come from a more nurturing mm -hmm. kind of background. So I think that's the way that I carry my voice mm -hmm. and my tone. I think that's maybe the bigger part of it. But when you were talking about tone and delivery, you said that's a large percentage of how people accept or listen to the information mm -hmm. that they're um, that they're taking or giving. Um, so, I, so do you think it's a problem? Because I see it as mm, an asset. I guess... Maybe traditionally it's seen, like you said, it's mm -hmm. it's not seen as, um, you know, the typical way that leadership is done. Mm -hmm. So, so I, maybe that's just my opinion. Turn on it upside just, yeah. down. I okay. say go for it, you know, be, you know, you have to be who you are. You have mm -hmm. to be authentic. So there's, you know, if there were a question about a lack of clarity in the the actual thing that you were talking about or the delivery of you know, if it's unclear expectations or if people aren't understanding you or thinking that there's mm -hmm. not a hard deadline on something mm -hmm. because they know that you'll be nice to them yeah. if they don't make the deadline. Is it that or is That's it? part of it. That is yeah. part of it. Okay. Yep. So then is, tell me a little bit more about the question. So if it's someone that you give a deadline to and they think, well, that's just kind of a quasi deadline because he'll be okay if, mm -hmm. I, if I don't get it to him by, <laughs> by Tuesday. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, maybe it's part of being clear on the exact deadline rather mm -hmm. than, because you know, we set internal deadlines for ourselves yep. and there are also hard deadlines, especially when it comes to some larger projects or when we have more stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the question would be, um, yeah, how do I become more clear about an actual deadline 
when we still have internal deadlines or you know self kind of directed deadlines that we put there to to be ahead of schedule mm-hmm. and and holding people accountable to those internal deadlines yes yeah well you know, part of that is the agreement mm-hmm. that you make with them versus the expectation that you hold of them so if you say to them well you know we have these deadlines and you all know what they are. They're all on the calendar. Take a look at the calendar. Mm-hmm. It's more about some some staff will be fine with that, right? Because some people do just deliver ahead of schedule or on time. And other people need more markers. They need more check-ins from their boss or leader mm-hmm. uh, to make sure. And then you have to build in the time if there is a problem, right? So if you have your internal marker as a Wednesday and you know it's a person that typically comes back and there's gonna be some more work to do on that particular thing, mm-hmm. then you have, you have to set a different marker for that person, that okay. staff, right? You have to set an earlier marker and do a check-in. So it may require at the beginning mm-hmm. for you to be um, a little more hands-on. And one of the traps that we can fall into as leaders with staff that are maybe new or require more follow-up is us doing all the follow-up as the leader. And we want to avoid that too. We Mm. want to teach and train them to Mm. manage up to us, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. So it's like you can sit with them in the room and say, so here are the the internal deadlines that we want to hit. What do you think would be a good uh, date for us to meet in advance of that first internal deadline? Mm And then they're telling you versus you telling them. And what that does is what? What do you think that does? You've empowered them. You've empowered them. Yeah, and then they feel like they have some control over the situation and not just, I have a task that was given to me and I have no control over it. Yeah. So that can be really powerful because it's Mm self-accountability. And then you can say to them, so what what can I expect or what can we agree to and by when? And they can say, okay, so I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get you that draft of, you know, that piece or product by, um, by Tuesday, because the internal deadline is Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, okay, well, what will that look like? Are Mm -hmm. you going to email me? Are you going to, should we set up a meeting right now? So you're going to keep probing using inquiry to get them to give you what their agreement is. So they're fully bought into the process. That's Mm -hmm. empowerment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. a lot. Is it helpful? Yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah, I think that um, reflects a lot of what we like to teach on the channel here, especially when we're, we use it in the context of sales, right? Uh-huh. If you're saying it, you're selling. Uh-huh. If they're saying it, you're closing. So mm. it's kind of the same concept, but on you know, if you're looking at deadlines or agreements in the office, it's the same thing. If you get the other person to say it, they are bought in mm-hmm. and they are agreeing because they're the ones who had put mm. themselves up for that versus mm. if you're the one who's just telling they might be resistant to that thing so it's it's kind of it works across the board it's not just in sales and it's not just in management mm-hmm. but it's just in life communication skills communication, in life yeah. period right that's interesting yeah so what are some of the challenges that you've been having Matthew for me um, since we've made this big changeover from client services, working with uh, uh, you know big agencies mm-hmm. and different clients, to now working at the future where we are autonomous, we set mm-hmm. our own deadlines and goals and schedules. Like we can do whatever we want when we want, type of thing. It's like it was a huge shift in the company culture here. Mm-hmm. At the same time, because we have almost abandoned client work at this point, because we're trying to make this venture work as this brand new startup in the content education space, 
it also requires us to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Where instead of like we're answering to a client and a client is saying, oh, I need this by this time. Now it's like, well, now we have to essentially print money. We have to learn mm-hmm. how to make uh-huh. money, make our own way. And that's been a good and fun challenge to mm-hmm. do. The challenge that I've personally had is there's so many things to do. There's a hundred mm-hmm. things to do. So what I've been working on is trying to figure out how to prioritize those things. But it's hard to prioritize those things in an environment where it's filled with constant improvers, especially on the leadership side, where and this is really driven by Chris Doe, who's the founder and mm-hmm. he's at the top and he's like an amazing person because he's an educator first, so generous with his time mm-hmm. and he's a constant improver. You know, he has the INTJ. Mm-hmm. So he looks at everything and instead of evaluating work and say, good job, he'll say, oh, you know what would be better if you did this, this, mm-hmm. and this. So next time you can do these three things and improve it. Mm-hmm. Like that's just his personality. But I think there's two things that are great. You know, there's, there's a thing that's great about that, which is it pushes everyone, it drives everyone. And that's the community, that's the culture here. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me, when is enough enough? Mm. So I have a hard time because I feel like I should be, you know, juggling 10 balls in order to keep up with someone like him, in order to keep up with this environment that we have here. But at the same time, you know, I fry out. Mm-hmm. There's certain po- points where I'm burning out. And I know I don't necessarily have to. He's not the person to be like, mm-hmm. I need 10 of these by this date. It's not like that. It's just like this invisible expectation. So I feel like constant pressure all the time to deliver and I'm setting all these crazy expectations for myself based off of what I assume he might want or what the other people are doing here. Mm. So I heard a couple of things in what you shared. One is that with the organization moving from the type of work that was client-based and service-oriented to now it's all internally driven content, mm-hmm. that it's really more... Um, intrinsic motivation that you have to employ versus extrinsic motivation, right? So the client's Mm -hmm. telling you, I need this, and then you deliver. Mm -hmm. And now it's like intrinsic. You have to come up with the motivation yourself. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like constant improver has, you know, this drive, this drive to be better and and that you've internalized that Mm -hmm. along with parallel to your own um, drive Mm -hmm. for doing great things, always having to do better, and the question that comes up is what's enough? Is that what I heard? Yes, yeah. that's the question. When is enough enough? And it never feels like it's enough. And I enjoy the mm-hmm. things I do, but you know, at the end of the week or sometimes at the end of a day, like today mm-hmm. was a very challenging day for me. I'm exhausted. And so you mentioned that there was um, an assumption, use the word, I, you know, I don't even know if I need to be doing this much because I'm assuming that he wants me to do more. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I just keep doing and I don't even know how to prioritize it. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. it, it, about that assumption in there. It's like, mm-hmm. what is what is the connection between what you think that Chris wants you to do versus what's driving you mm-hmm. to do more and always achieve more, drive more, take on more projects? Mm-hmm. It's uh, several things. I think one is trust. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's entrusted me with a lot of people here mm-hmm. to be responsible on the company's behalf. Okay. 
So, you know, act in the company's best behalf, no matter what you're, you're doing. And I don't, he doesn't really care how you do things. He uh -huh. just cares about the results. Like we get something mm -hmm. done. I don't care how we get there. Like that's his personality. Mm -hmm. So there's this immense level of trust, mm -hmm. but also that's the pressure that's on me, right? So you so feel the sense of responsibility. Right, I'm, I'm holding his baby, mm -hmm. his, his company. Mm -hmm. Like I gotta make sure that it's going to survive and do well because like I mentioned earlier, this is the first year where we, we've pretty much not done any client work mm -hmm. anymore because we want to focus on building the second company. But to make the second company happen, we really have to sprint. We have to grind and we have to meet our goals at every quarter. Mm. And it's tough. It's not like before. It's very, very different. But again, the how we get there is kind of up to us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's driving a lot of it. I feel the sense of responsibility mm -hmm. for this thing to happen. So you mentioned that sometimes at the end of the day you feel fried or at the mm -hmm. end of the week mm -hmm. um, and that it's exhausting. And I know you shared with me that you were out sick with the flu, which totally took you down, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering how your body is reflecting back to you what is enough. Mm. Do you have mm -hmm. any insight? Uh, it feels like I'm, I've gone above and beyond. Mm -hmm. So my energy level right now at this moment is quite low. Mm -hmm. And um, so my body is telling me, you need to take a break. Mm -hmm. But then I look at the to-dos mm -hmm. and how do I balance that? Yeah. And you also mentioned that it's a sprint because you have certain goals you need to meet. You're trying to get this new company off the ground. Mm -hmm. And so the question that comes forward for me is that how long can you continue sprinting, <laughs> right? So is there, is there a, an opportunity to pause and to think about this as a long game mm -hmm. or as a marathon mm -hmm. and knowing that if you sprint the first 13 miles, you're never gonna finish. It's yeah. very hard to get to go, you know, to right. mile. Absolutely. 26. 26. Yeah. So where are you in that process? What's, you know, you've been sprinting for how long now? For this whole year. For the whole year. Yeah, like so probably, six months. Yeah, probably started at the tail end of last year, and then we've just been sprinting nonstop, just like quarter to quarter, and we've hit all of our goals, and it's been mm -hmm. fantastic. But it doesn't feel like that's enough. We can ease off the gas, and it still doesn't feel like it it's doesn't enough. feel like that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and it doesn't feel like it's enough to you, or to Chris, or to both. To both. To both. And so, you're certain of his feeling about that it's because of the conversations that we have the uh -huh. conversations are not guys we've done it mm -hmm. it's like we did great this quarter mm -hmm. but next quarter is even bigger bigger <laughs> right like we can't iterate we have to innovate mm. so that's the that's also that's like we can't just take baby steps we have to look at how we're going to massively transform this again mm. and again and again so that's that's the challenging part and the thing is We've done it before. We've done it many, many times. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of evidence of that. Right. Right. It's through these sprints. It's through these, like, I'm going to do a Hail Mary. And look, we've succeeded. I'm going to Hail Mary again. We've succeeded. So it's, there's plenty of evidence to show that we can do that. So it, it feels both great. But at the same time, it's like now we're halfway through the year. Mm -hmm. I also feel exhausted. I don't know if I'm going to finish the marathon if I don't change something pretty drastically. And what do you think needs to shift? Possibly the expectations a little bit. 
I think the expectations of what we need to accomplish mm. next quarter in the following quarter. But at the same time, I know sandbagging it and mm-hmm. pull, like kind of pulling the punches makes me feel like if we don't put in the work now, mm-hmm. we're not going to be here five years from now. We're going to be here next year if we don't put in the work now. So there's kind of like this feeling, this understanding that we have a, a sprint to do right now. Mm-hmm. It's like a proof of concept that in this year, mm-hmm. 2019, if we could do zero client work and be self-sustaining and profitable, mm-hmm. that this is a good model for the rest of the trajectory of, of our company. But it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, this and, is and where it I'm makes at. total sense. Like yeah. with any startup or with any... Anything that you're trying to get up off the ground, there's mm-hmm. more there's more input required at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So fair enough, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to balance that with what your ability to continue to sprint is, your right. personal ability, right. Right? right? So it's like I hear that the organization needs to do that mm-hmm. for an extended period of time. And then you personally have to look at yourself and say, okay, well, what's my capacity? Mm-hmm. And I also heard you say that it's not enough to just create, you have to innovate, mm-hmm. right? Right. And right. so innovation takes what? What does it take? Time and expansive thinking. Yeah. And like, how do you get to expansive thinking? Space and challenging the, the norm. Challenging the norm, space. Mm-hmm. And the time to so, let that percolate. If you're feeling exhausted and burnt out at the end of the day, is that where innovation comes? No. Where where does it come? Like, how do you feel in your body when you feel like you can do your best innovating? When I'm bored. When you're bored. Right. So when your when your body is quiet or your mind is quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And, and what I, does it take to get there? Um, space, just like being away from things, saturating my brain with a lot of input. Mm-hmm. So if I understand what the challenges or problems are and, and then just let my brain kind of simmer on that, mm-hmm. usually that's when the good ideas will come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the, the space, like a, a lot of intense saturation of information mm-hmm. and then the space to process it. So it sounds like what you're describing, because I keep thinking about the sprinter, right? Mm-hmm. So literally the sprinter with the big, like, you know, leg muscles yeah. like sprint. <laughs> right. And then they stop. Right. right. And then they recover. Right. And then they sprint and they recover. So it's like you with saturation and space, saturation and space. Mm-hmm. What I didn't hear you say was saturation, 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 like no. continual no. process. And sometimes our bodies will tell us like like mm-hmm. the flu will show up and be like, right. you it's time for yeah. space. <laughs> That's your recovery <laughs> mode right there. Yeah, It's forcing um, you, it's benching it's, you. Yeah. So I think, I mean, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like your own body can be your barometer for that. Right. Mm-hmm. For your answer to your question on what is enough and when is enough. It's right. like, but you sh- maybe would consider, I want to avoid saying the word should, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a judgment. Mm-hmm. And it might be helpful to pay attention to the signs and signals to avoid getting to the place where you're flat out, mm-hmm. right? So a sprinter will take a lap, walk lap, or you know, a break, mm-hmm. versus like sprinting so hard that he just collapses on the ground and can't get up and right. and run again for right. two months. Yeah, then it's too late. Then so you want to, like you're saying, you're, you want to catch those signs before you hit that point of break. Exactly. So that you don't fall into that. Yeah, 
and your and your body is one way. I mean, it's just certainly true for me too. I have, get migraines if I'm under too much stress or pushing too hard. Mm-hmm. And in psychology, we do this process called gestalt, which is you actually dialogue with a certain um, part of yourself, right? So I did a dialogue with my migraine, mm-hmm. and the migraine was saying back to me. And literally, you get up and you put you put your migraine invisibly in a chair. You have a chair, and you're sitting in a chair, and you literally sit back and forth like you get up and move your body into the chair to become that aspect of yourself. Mm-hmm. And you see what mm-hmm. insights show up. And mm-hmm. for me, it was really about I'm your barometer. So if you sense me like showing up, you have to check, like do it, do a check on what's going on. And can you slow things down in certain areas? It doesn't mean you have to stop. Right. But where is it that you can maybe pull back a little so that you can push ahead to finish Mm -hmm. the race, to get through the ribbon, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Where can you draft a little bit if we use a cycling analogy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you're not going to give up. You're going to get off your bike. Yeah, yeah. But where can you draft and right. have someone else carry a little? And it is a team, right? And yeah, yeah. Right. You're part of a team, and if the whole team is sprinting the entire time, mm-hmm. like Lance Armstrong couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, maybe right. he could, but <laughs> most people can. Right. <laughs> right? It's right. like it, if you're human, you have to rely on, you know, rely on the people that are around you, too, to mm-hmm. uh, be able to like a relay race take almost. the baton yeah the analogy yeah. it's yeah. like when you when you're having this phase of a company where it's so fast-paced and big growth and innovation all the time and you know creating and and just doing things at a pace that's um maybe long term won't stay the same it's like how do you set up your team mm-hmm. so that one person doesn't end up you know, injuring their Achilles. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what happened uh, today, I think they announced that, right? But. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thought, I think, because in my position, and I'm sure other people feel this too, I feel immensely responsible mm. for the team and the outcome of the team. So if somebody performs poorly, mm-hmm. that's on me. Mm-hmm. And I have to report that to the big guy, mm-hmm. you know. So I think part of it is selfishly or maybe defensively, I take on more mm. to make sure that they can still mm. succeed. You know, it's like, oh, they can't fail because I'm helping them. Wherever there's failure, I'm going to fill in. Wherever there's a gap, mm. I will fill in. And I think that's how I look at a lot of these situations where I'm not always one to like, I'm giving you responsibility of this thing you take that I try here and there but I think that like the, the core of me still feels like mm, I don't know if I can entrust everybody to do this or I feel guilty it's too much work for everybody mm-hmm. and I couldn't possibly offload this to another person I feel guilty for mm-hmm. doing that because I've been on both sides of the table mm-hmm. both as a freelancer receiving orders and stuff and so I have a lot of empathy for people who are receiving orders and at the same time now I have this you know, I'm sitting in the seat of power mm-hmm. and I have, I can give everybody all the work, all the stuff I don't want to do. But at the same time, I feel guilt because mm-hmm. of that. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. How is it that you know what their experience will be? So you're saying you feel guilty giving them this work because you sat in a position that was similar. Mm-hmm. And 
the position was similar, but the people are different, right? You're different than maybe someone else that's mm -hmm. doing that job now. So right. it's like, how do you know that that work is too much for that person? I don't know all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe deadlines aren't met. Uh, yeah, or, like yeah. that could be one measure. Mm -hmm. If I have tried and experimented and uh -huh. it's taking two, three, four, five times as long as if I were to just do it, there's that also that efficiency and right. then going back to the responsibility mm -hmm. of me making sure that I'm taking care of our baby here mm -hmm. and being smart with the resources that's entrusted in me. So if I know I can do something in half an hour mm -hmm. versus if I give this to you know a junior person here and then they take five hours to do the same task, mm -hmm. What is, how do I approach that? Like what's reasonable there? Do I make them, that person go through that experience mm -hmm. of doing it and spending five hours? Then yeah, they might learn, but I also have the guilt now of, am I spending our resources wisely? So I'll say something and mm -hmm. then we'll talk about, I think this is a really important issue that you're bringing up. Guilt is optional. Mm. The guilt is optional. How does that land for you? It is, you're right, it is optional. I try to think about what that means. The guilt is optional, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because the extreme opposite side of that is being ruthless. Mm. In terms of, so maybe I'm looking at that as an extreme, it's black or white rather yeah. than shades of gray. Mm -hmm. Where it's like if I, do that, maybe it's kind of ruthless of me to make them do this shitty job, you know, make them do this maybe not so glamorous thing. Is there like anyone it, that might enjoy doing the not so glamorous thing? Potentially. I don't know. Does it's, everyone view it as a shitty job? I mean, I, you think I back of like, you mentioned there are some people, this is the, their first job out of school. Right. And they're, they're, they're just here to learn and absorb everything that they can. Right. It's oh, like, what right. I hear and what you're sharing is just there's a lot of assumptions, right? There so is a lot of assumptions, and mm -hmm. I think it's just um, mapping to my own personal experience, yeah. right? So I, I do make assumptions, but I'll give you one example. Like, let's say if I have our crew here and we do a shoot, and then, you know, they spent all day mm -hmm. setting something up. Physical labor, physical labor is not something that we technically think of in, in this like design creative mm -hmm. space, but there's lots of gear and equipment just to make all of this happen. So I make them work for many hours and then we're all done. Yeah, I'm exhausted. I was here recording the stuff, but so were they. Mm -hmm. And then now I feel shitty if I sing, oh, can you guys clean this up? Mm. So what that, could you say instead? Well, I try to clean up with them, right? It's like, okay, let's, house lights on. What do we need to get this done? I right. feel less guilty like that. Mm -hmm. but if you're chipping in and if, being if part of it, you're like, yeah. yeah. So that's how I try and balance that. But, you know, there's, again, there's, that's one example of where I know I can jump in and at least be side by side rather than dictating, you guys clean it up now. That's yeah. not my job. Well, there's such, you know, there's, there's a lot of compassion, it sounds like, that you have for your employees, which is a really valuable trait, leadership trait, is having mm -hmm. compassion and really trying to understand what their experience is. Mm -hmm. And then there's also this fine line where we start to project what we think their experience is versus mm -hmm. what their experience actually is. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'm, you know, um, aware of is that I, I have less energy 
now at almost 50 than I did when I was 20. Mm. So if someone asked me to stay late and clean up after the long day at 20, right. and this right. is when I, back in my PR days, when I worked at an agency, right. we worked a lot of hours. And then we used to go out and, you know, either with the client or with just with the team and we right. used to have drinks and right. I'd get home at midnight and, and, you know, I'd be, get up the next morning and go for a run or whatever. Right. Now, over. like that's not the way it is, right? <laughs> right. So, right. I have to remember that like what my experience is now mm. isn't necessarily what that person is experiencing. Like mm -hmm. they could have a different level of stamina. They could be a night owl mm -hmm. like my daughter, right? Mm. I might want to be in bed by nine. She's five and a half. She wants to go to bed at 11, <laughs> right? We just, we, we, we have to be mindful of that like projection of our own stuff onto our staff. And then there's this other really important thing that you brought forward, which is a really hard leadership question, which is when do you lean in when you have staff that are less experienced than you are? Mm -hmm. And I would guess, I'm not a doctor, but I would guess it's similar in teaching hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like at some point you have to solo on a surgery, right? right? <laughs> and it's like, when is a leader do you know when that person is ready? When is that trust there? Mm. And how close do you have to be to the process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to ensure that you're going to keep the baby intact in your arms? Right. Um, and still allow them to learn and make a mistake and grow. Mm -hmm. And I get asked this all the time. Mm -hmm. and it, it's really situational, right? It's right. like you have to know your staff when you have a little more leeway, a little more time, a little more resources, or you're willing to invest a little more resources. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's not the person who's gonna take five hours to do the job when you can take 30 minutes, but maybe there is a person that might take two hours right. and you let them go through and learn that all the way to the end mm -hmm. so that they can get that full experience. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough call as a leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's one you have to constantly be thinking, okay, is this one that I should lean in on more or pull back, because I want to pull back because I want to see them elevate. I want to see them grow. I want to mm -hmm. see them learn this process. They have to learn how to do this thing. I can't always swoop in and do it for them. Mm -hmm. right. Even if it saves money, even if it saves time. Right. Well, in the long run, it, theoretically, it should save time, right? If that yeah. person can carry on those skills and then learn to do that thing quicker. And that's the idea, right? Right. Mm. You're, you're training up. I mean, as leaders, we're always looking, hopefully, at a succession plan, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want people to be growing and leveling up if they want to be, right? Right, right. So that's like uh, Kim Scott in her book, Radical Candor. I don't know if you know that book. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. um, she writes a lot about Google and Apple and her experience and time there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she talks about rock stars and superstars, and some people really are fine doing a slower growth trajectory. Those are the rock stars. They're very stable in their job. They're maybe, maybe focused in on a technical craft or a skill, and they want to stay and kind of they want to grow, but it's a slow and steady and less steep growth trajectory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there are the rock, uh, the superstars. Right. And mm -hmm. those people want to leap. They want to jump. They want to get to the next title or the next position fast. Mm -hmm. Right. So they want to, you know, they want to be challenged regularly. Mm -hmm. And they want to be given that task of like, okay, we need this done in an hour. And I know last time it took you three. Mm -hmm. um, so you as a leader have to know like who on your team is a rock star, who's a superstar, who do you have to keep challenged with those big leaps and jumps mm -hmm. and who just wants that slow, steady growth and learning. Right. I think to that too, 
how do you know when one person is one or the other? Because mm-hmm. I feel like um, some people here feel like they are the superstars. Mm-hmm. Like they, they want to be challenged often. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just out of boredom that the, the complacency of, you know, refining and spending the time to perfect a particular trade or craft, mm-hmm. um, it gets boring to them. So they look, mm-hmm. they see actively, like, yeah. give me more responsibility. I'm willing to do this. Let me do this. And then every time... I know it's new for them, and I'll try, mm-hmm. and I'll try, and they fail, mm. and then they fail hard, and then I have to be the one to pick up the pieces. So it's it's also I know that that's part of my responsibility as a servant leader is to help mm. them out through that process, but at the same time, it's also balancing that right, like I, balancing somebody's personal growth. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I feel responsible for every single person that I work with here. So if I don't give them the time or space to fail and grow, then they're not gonna, they're not gonna do that. Also, if I don't give them additional energy, energy I don't have yet, to help them and teach them through that process, they're also not gonna get there. So there's all this thing where I feel like so much of me is being pulled both, and like, well, can I trust them with that thing? And then, well, if I trust them with that, I have to hold their hand. I have to give them more. And then it's like, oh, what about the ten to dos over here? So it's this reoccurring thing of. Again, it's like I, I feel like I'm spinning a lot of plates, and then mm-hmm. I'm spinning plates on top of those plates, and then that's what those feel. And like, I, 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 again, I have a lot of compassion. I care a lot about both the company mm-hmm. and then the people that work here. So it feels like those things are just stretching me in very different ways, like silly putty. You know, it's just like getting thinner and thinner. But it can, it can do it. I can do yeah. that. But, yeah. but for how long? But for how yeah. long? And, right. and at what cost? Right. Hey, Greg Gunn from The Future here. That's right, it's me again. Now, The Future's mission is to teach 1 billion creatives how to make money doing what they love without feeling gross about it. Now, maybe you're in school, but you feel like you're not getting what you need. Or maybe you're like me and sold all of your internal organs to pay for private art school tuition. But you know, it's been a while and you wanna sharpen up some of those skills. Well, fortunately for you, we have a bunch of courses and products designed specifically to help you become a smarter and more versatile creative. Design courses like typography, logo design, and color for creatives go deep into the design fundamentals that you need to know and command in order to be successful. Check out all of our courses and products about learning design by visiting thefuture.com slash design. So the things that, the thing that comes forward for me with that sharing is this this feeling of responsibility that you have for yes. your team yes. and that it that it feels really heavy and deep. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the word responsibility, mm-hmm. if you define it for me, what, how would you define it? Because you kind of defined it in your examples, but if you were to just take a step back and say, what does it mean? What does it mean for me to have responsibility over this team? Uh, it means to look ahead and be aware mm-hmm. of things that might happen, okay. dangerous things that might happen, negative things, mm-hmm. and making sure that everyone, nev- people never experience that. Okay, so let's pause there for a second, yeah. right? So I'll reflect back to you what I heard. So mm-hmm. looking ahead to what's there, dangerous things, what's ahead, mm-hmm. and making sure that people never experience that. Yes, that's how I think about responsibility. That's how you think about it. Right, and I think a lot of that is mapped from my parents 
-hmm. they were both immigrants coming here uh -huh. and uh, you know they had nothing coming here mm -hmm. they worked really hard saved every penny you know uh, and I saw them like I didn't appreciate it when I was younger of mm -hmm. course but now I'm looking back it's like my gosh they worked so hard to get everything that we uh, have today mm -hmm. so I look at them and they've programmed me obviously they're my mom and dad so they've programmed me in terms of what the expectation is mm -hmm. to be responsible to your family mm -hmm. and this is my family over here so to be responsible means that I have to work very earnestly very hard and look ahead and think 10 steps ahead to make mm -hmm. sure that they're never going to experience the hardship or ever have to feel that they never have to, to worry about stuff mm. I've done that for them and I prepared ahead of time for them so are you open to an idea for consideration? Yes. Do you think it would be possible for you to uncouple that concept of responsibility, the one that you got from your family, mm -hmm. with the responsibility you have here for the team? Or do you even think it would be valuable? If it will help with uh, <laughs> me detaching from feeling like I am responsible for every single thing in here, uh, every speck of dirt. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to that. I don't know what that looks like. So yeah. Maybe we can well, I'll just reflect back to you again mm -hmm. what I heard, which is as, as a responsible leader, I need to always be looking 10 steps ahead, mm -hmm. making, looking out for anything that's dangerous and making sure that the team never experiences that. Mm -hmm. That's... I said yes <laughs> so that's it's, that must be pretty deep yeah um, because from my perspective if you're open to hearing a, yeah. a different one and I'll just I'll, I'll start with Stephen Covey's definition of responsibility right mm -hmm. so Stephen Covey in the seven habits of highly effective people mm. says that responsibility is literally break down the word um, and it's your res response ability so your ability to respond mm. right and from my perspective, a responsible leader is one that allows its team to take risks and fall and make mistakes. It's like I thought of the analogy as you were talking about looking 10 steps ahead and making sure nothing happens. You know, I thought about like just when my kids were little trying to walk, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, they want to walk and I don't want them to fall <laughs> yeah. on their I was faces. just going to say parenting. <laughs> smash their face in the ground. Right. So it's like, no, don't do that. And like right. so often you hear this, if you go to the playground, like, be careful, be careful, stop, don't do that, whatever. And the reality, the kid just wants to experience it because they have to, they have to step forward or trip or do whatever it is to learn mm -hmm. what that means, right? right? So until we can actually experience whatever it is that you're trying to protect them from, mm. we're never going to learn how to get through that, right? Mm. So what I heard in your sharing was really that it's like you're more of a savior to the team mm. and jumping and swooping in to make sure that everything always goes right. Mm -hmm. And I totally get it. It's like it's protecting the baby and then you have responsibility and this is probably what a lot of leaders feel it's like they have a responsibility to the organization and the person mm -hmm. above them and mm -hmm. then to the people below and when is it okay to let someone fall and fail mm -hmm. because that's how we learn mm -hmm. right. that's feedback mm. and if we lack that and someone is always kind of saving the day and mm. taking away all the the roadblocks and the 
precarious, you know, things that are in front of us. Mm-hmm. It's like, think about touching a stove. Like I can tell you 500 times, mm. don't touch the stove, <laughs> right. but you won't understand why until right. you touch the stove. Right. <laughs> and then you will never touch the stove again. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So now tell me about your, your, tell me your thoughts on the idea of responsibility. Are they the same? Are they still fixed in that category of? No, that, that, that makes sense, especially using the analogy of young kids. Mm-hmm. That, that makes total sense to me. And in many ways, your team is like that, right? Right. A lot of ways, it's like leaders of the parents, and this will be the book I write at some point in my life, is the <laughs> parallels of, of leadership and parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders are the parents, and the team is, is, is they're the children, right? Mm-hmm. They're learning how to do things. Right. They're new at it. They have less experience than you do. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to have them learn. Mm-hmm. And I almost said the goal is to teach them, and then I stop myself. Mm-hmm. Because really, teaching is didactic, right? But learning is really like experiencing mm-hmm. and then having it be so integrated that they can then go do it on their own. Right, right. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, it goes back to the, like when you're selling and telling them, like this is what you should buy versus them saying they want something. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. the parallels exist in the situation too. It's like the push-pull, right? Exactly. You want it to be a pull. You want learning to be a pull experience rather than a push experience. Right. Or as I, I kind of vision visualized it when you were talking about it as you like swooping in, like and making sure that like everything is just so so that they can like right. succeed and they can land perfectly. Yeah, every do a perfect landing. Time. And you right. know, it's it's admirable and it's it takes a toll on you. Right. Yeah. And it's also detrimental to them and their learning. Mm. And that's one way that I've thought about it uh, in terms of being able to let some of that go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes um, I'll get offers to or requests to do certain types of trainings and I might have, you know, kind of done them for a very long time and I know that I can do them really well and probably better than the next person. Mm-hmm. And I've in the past done this reflexive yes, like, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. recently I've kind of paused and part of it was like this responsibility. Like, oh, I don't want to leave them in the lurch. I want to make right. sure that they have someone to do it. And I know I'm the best person for the job. And, right. and then I started thinking about the fact that there are a lot of people out there that want to get their feet wet mm. to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's beneficial for me to let go. So someone else can take on that job and, practice it and get to do it really well and then I can focus on other things that I really enjoy Mm -hmm. and that challenge me Mm -hmm. so let me ask you because I'm not a parent yet and Mm -hmm. you are with those experiences you see your child running down the street it's Mm -hmm. like oh they might trip or there's sharp objects there's corners hot stove do you allow them to make those mistakes and then how do you respond to that when they do fail or fall or get hurt? That's a good question. It's so scary <laughs> to like, to have that. Mm. And it happens like a hundred times a day as a parent, right? Mm. It's 
like you drop your kid off at school, you wonder if like they're going to be okay. Like my whole thing is about the sunscreen and my kid getting, you know, <laughs> skin cancer. And I like try oh, to tell him to put the sunscreen on and he won't put the sunscreen right. on and he hates the sunscreen. And, you know, like those kinds of things, there may be smaller examples of things that aren't immediately detrimental or dangerous, but right. there are plenty of things Thinking that, 10 steps ahead. that could be. It's like we have the conversation about the car seat. So mm. I've got one kid who's almost nine and one that's almost six and my kid that's almost nine doesn't want to be in a booster like that lifts him up but if you see the you know and he's not required by law to be in a booster mm-hmm. and it's 500 times safer if he is mm-hmm. so it's like we have this conversation over and over again because he wants to be like the kid that's not in a booster yeah, anymore. i'm a big kid right. i'm a big kid yeah. and, and i'm saying right. to him well, you know he's he's old enough that i and my daughter is too that i can say to them listen I'm not going to fight with you on this. I really want you to know the information. Here's the information. Mm. It's 500 times safer for you to be in that booster seat than to sit in the seat without the booster because it lifts you up Mm -hmm. to a certain degree so that the seatbelt falls over your chest so that if you were in a car accident, the seatbelt wouldn't go to your neck or to your abdomen and hurt your internal organs. Mm -hmm. So I try to explain it to them in a rational way. And then I have to say to them, now you can make your decision. (laughs) Now what my son usually does, he's he's gone back into the booster. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that one time when he felt like he had the freedom to do it, he would like try it out. Now, fortunately we didn't have the learning experience of being in an accident. That was Mm -hmm. great that we didn't have that. But it's interesting Mm -hmm. that my daughter now, she's kind of popping. We have three, we have like a, and built-in booster, and then we have the other booster, which is a little higher, and then the full-on back booster. Mm-hmm. And she kind of goes bouncing between um, among the three of them. Mm-hmm. But she tends to be more risk-averse, so she usually goes into the most safe car seat, mm. whereas my son is the opposite. Mm-hmm. And part of me just is like, you know, you can't. At some point, they have they have to make their own decisions. And it's the same mm-hmm. with leadership and teams. It's mm-hmm. like you're you're trying to give them as much information to succeed as possible. Mm. And at some point, they're going to be out in the world without you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to make their own choices. You won't be there mm-hmm. to catch them before they fall. Right. And you hope that when they do fall, they'll fall gently or they'll have taken a different road or path because they have all the information available mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. So when you look at your team, what do you want for them in terms of their growth? Do you want to save them? Do you want them to grow? Do you want them to fall? I want them to, them to grow them? for sure. Uh-huh. I want them to be the best version of themselves mm. as possible. What do you think will get them there? Providing them information. I mm-hmm. think that's helpful. Illuminating the way I think and why I think that mm-hmm. way. And then setting up expectations for them or agreeing on expectations yeah. with them. And then having some form of evaluation or measuring Mm -hmm. what has happened post experiment post test right and finding finding little projects or places where you can test this out right Mm -hmm. so maybe it's like a portion of a project Mm -hmm. that you're going to let them kind of take the lead on Mm. you're still going to be there and you're going to do all the things (coughs) you said like you're going to give them the context you're going to provide as much information as you can about what roadblocks might show up for them and then you're going to tell them if something shows up that I have, you know, left out here, you're going to come to me and we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So in so, that sense, it's less risk. It seems like right. if it's just a portion of a larger project or, or task. You're mitigating the risk. Right. Not eliminating it. Right. And mm. I think that that's the key thing that I was hoping that you would see in me reflecting back your language around. 
I never want them to experience mm. it. I mm. want to look at all the possible dangerous, precarious things and get rid of all of those so that they never have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Versus maybe telling them what those things are. Mm-hmm. And if they experience it, wow, they're going to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's, it's different than when you know, uh, someone's in there doing surgery, right? Yeah. We're mm-hmm. in different fields. Right. Thank goodness, right? right? It's yeah, life. Not life or death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're just so, pushing pixels. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, you think about it as, as, as expansion. It's like, how mm. much can you expand that rubber band a little bit more each time? Give mm. them a little more runway, a little more leeway. And what that does is it serves them, but it also serves you. Mm-hmm. Because you get to start to step away a little bit more and the better they get at it, then you're stepping farther and farther away so that you can focus on the other plates that you're trying to keep up in the air. Mm-hmm. Because as a leader, that management of the team is only one part of your job. Right. Is that helpful? It is. I have to look at the day-to-days and then just start mapping those concepts mm-hmm. to there and thinking about that. So i got to think... I got to think about ways to remind myself of that mm-hmm. so that I could be more mindful when those moments happen. So what would be one thing that you could do so that you avoid jumping into the old pattern? You know, my first instinct is to throw somebody into the deep end. Uh-huh. But I don't know if, again, it's like, is that mitigating the risk mm. or is that just like allowing them to learn the fastest way possible? Mm. So if I said tomorrow, I'm off this project, hmm. this is all you the success from here on out is up to you. Well, that would be like me telling my kids, you don't have to, you don't have to be in the booster seat. And by the right. way, I hear the keys. To the car. Right, right. <laughs> I know you're only nine, but go ahead and drive. <laughs> right. So again, it's kind of black and white. It's for extreme, me. yeah. It's very extreme and it's, it's hard for me to, oh, it is the, the, mm. the mitigated risk part. Mm-hmm. So that's the part I haven't quite yeah. formulated yet or how much handholding should I do? Mm-hmm. Versus how much do I want them to learn in, you know, in that environment? Mm-hmm. Well, it's such a great opportunity for you to grow right there. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is really, this is like a key leadership challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you get to apply this starting ASAP, like tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. And to just pause, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's the thing is whatever you are, if you notice that you, you want to swoop in and just kind of handle it, if there's a problem, Mm-hmm. You can just take a minute and say, okay, is there a way to do this differently? Mm-hmm. And one thing is that when we get stuck in that polarized thinking, mm-hmm. it really, um, it inhibits our ability to think of multiple options because our brain has already polarized it. Mm-hmm. Right. So one idea is to ask someone else what they think, right? So you can go to Mark and be like, so Mark, mm-hmm. here's, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to step back a little bit from you know, the swooping in and saving of the team on projects. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really stuck. I don't know if I should just walk away from the project or if I should do my old way. Mm-hmm. And then Mark, you could say, <laughs> well, have you thought about this? Mm. Just to get a second opinion from yeah. a peer or, mm-hmm. or even someone else. Anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that would be outside of your world, they're going to have different glasses on, different right. lens, a different filter. 
and so they can see it more clearly. And we want to try to interrupt the pattern, right? If your right. pattern is to swoop in, then we want to try to stop that and say, okay, what could I do differently this time? And if I feel stuck and I can't think of anything, let me ask someone else. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, to a point, I feel like you do give you know, a sense of responsibility to people without taking the full burden of responsibility too. And I see that, you know, when you're um, overseeing a lot of the video projects, when, you know, you're working with Chris to help delegate information back to us, like, I think you do give that to some people. So I don't think it's black and white in that sense either. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what you're saying, maybe it's slowly giving a little bit more like of that rubber band or mm-hmm. that elasticity yeah. mm-hmm. um, where the other people can kind of, you know, take the training wheels off. Right. And you know, the thing is, I haven't quite had this same friction within myself mm-hmm. with our previous business. And I think the reason why, like I was pretty good at te- delegating. I had much larger teams with much higher stakes right. in terms of revenue and, and mm-hmm. you know, what's going on there because I'm responsible for clients. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference was that because I had done that for so long, things are templatized. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's there's clear processes. I know mm-hmm. when the beginning and the end of something is. Mm-hmm. And I think with our new business, it is very different. Mm-hmm. Everything is new. Right. So we do a lot of things for the first time mm-hmm. for the first time. And we look at those situations as like I'm still figuring it out as a leader. Mm-hmm. How might I direct my team if I don't even have the answer yet? And I try and open it up. But I also find that, you know, giving bringing too many people mm-hmm. in loses the focus and dilutes um, you know, the resources here. And I have to be very smart and strategic. And like, let me do my small experiment, mm-hmm. figure that out. And then once I formulated reputable processes, then I might scale out the team. So it's, it's because we have gone through this big transition where we're still trying to figure out our daily processes mm-hmm. and working that out, that I feel like I've reverted back to this. We're like, ah, I have to save everyone. I have to plug all the holes where we're leaking mm-hmm. in the ship. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's where I'm, I'm, I'm going through that right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, that's how I felt. Because again, a year ago, I did not feel this way. Two years ago, I did not feel mm-hmm. this way. And it's just a recent occurrence because this is brand new. Everything is brand new. But I still carry the legacy responsibility mm-hmm. of, I should know it all. And I should be responsible for the team and make sure that we do very well. So that's that's why I'm having these personal challenges. And I know this is the first time that I'm saying it that way or making these observations mm-hmm. about myself and the process and the differences between who I was as creative director a year ago versus mm-hmm. who I am now kind of looks the same because we're in the same building, mm-hmm. same people, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Everything's so, new. Everything's new. And so your your learning curve is is steep. Yes. And therefore the team, team's learning curve is steep too. Yes. And what I heard is that you were able to establish processes and systems that worked well because you would run an experiment, evaluate, and then establish the system. Mm -hmm. So, and that gave you confidence to Mm -hmm. let the team then do it because there were systems and processes in place. Mm -hmm. So I just want to reflect back to you, like you've done that before, Mm -hmm. you'll do it again. Right. You are doing it now. Mm-hmm. It's just about recognizing that you're kind of in the experiment part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's and a very having big some experience. compassion <laughs> for yourself, right? Yeah. And and being letting it be okay to 
to fall sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a, is that the culture? Like, is it okay to is it okay to make a mistake We've, here? I mean, we talk about accepting your failures and learning from them. It's a big part of the culture, but I think a lot of us personally, we just we don't want to fail. We're just always trying to push to to win or yeah. to complete. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the culture, but we don't look down on failure. Yeah. Well, maybe right. it is about shifting that mindset. And part of it's like you have to decouple it from if you've had an upbringing that's really pushed you in that direction. I have a client that's going through that right now who's mm-hmm. just really, really just scared to fail. Mm-hmm. And she's like trying so hard. She's burning out. She's just, you know, it's just not an option for her. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thinking is just really, I think long-term, it's hurtful to the person who's living in it, right? It's it's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a far more productive way to live is just having a learning orientation to life and being like, okay, there are going to be some things that are going to go a little mm-hmm. bit haywire here, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that, right? Mm-hmm. And to have that be the culture, not just to say it, but to live it. Like, what mm-hmm. does it look like to live that and right, make right. that really one of the the core values mm-hmm. because you're going to learn from those experiences. You know, you look at all the CEOs that are successful. They say that like the reason why is because they've had such huge, massive failures, right? right? That they've, mm-hmm. they've learned so much from that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the mindset shift can be a hard one and it's an important one mm-hmm. because if you're always focused on getting it right, it's really taxing. Yeah. Right. It is. And you know that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to is. tell you. Yeah. I think it's it's just because we're it's in such a results-driven mm-hmm. environment here. Again, it doesn't matter how you get there as long as the results are there. So. But what are you teaching? Like, what's the, I mean, in terms of the content, it's like, what are you trying to teach the right. creative professionals well, out that, there? That's the biggest part. Like, I think that's so much of what we do. 99% of the stuff we do is free. We put it out there. Mm-hmm. We, we share openly, transparently. But to do that, we have to have funding. We mm-hmm. have to be able to support ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if we're not, you know, selling enough, we sell courses, we sell premium mm-hmm. products that are, you know, above and beyond what we put on the channel. And that's the 1% of stuff that we spend our extra time on. We love giving for free, mm-hmm. but we also have to run a business because if we don't make any money, we're not here tomorrow. And then none of this like free goodwill that we get to put out there, mm-hmm. it won't exist at the scale that we want to exist so it's also that it's like we spend so much time giving away free stuff Mm -hmm. but it's like now we look back oh how are we gonna make money and we don't like some some people are very business oriented here Mm -hmm. like i would say ben he's very business oriented he's very good at like i know the thing we can do boom 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 and then we just printed money tomorrow it's like Problem solved. <laughs> I love this printing money thing. Yeah. <laughs> you do that for me. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's surprising. It's, it's astonishing how many times we can do that. Wherever we look, it's like we have a deficit or there's a hole ahead. And then magically we put our heads together and we solve it instantly. Yeah. I don't know how well, it see, happens. It's not magic, though. What you're doing is you're talking about really you're creating opportunity and yeah. creating income and resources exactly when you need them. Right. So if you know you can do that, just trust mm. you can do it. Yeah, but that is the curse of the knowledge too, because I know I can do that. Mm-hmm. I know I can do more. I know I can make more money for this company. Mm-hmm. 
but when is it enough? Because we always have stretch goals. We want to do more. Mm. So I'll give you an example. It's like I'm responsible for a lot of things here, managing team of editors, also on the business side, trying to figure out products or sell products more effectively. So my head goes into like all the content stuff, the free stuff that we put out there. I love making that stuff. Like I'm so energized, like working with the team, making cool stuff, and then seeing our audience respond to that. They love it. Fantastic. Makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. But we still have to make money. Mm-hmm. So I turn around. Okay, what do I have to do to make money? And then I'll, you know, Chris will pop in. So like, oh, how are we doing on our business boot camp? Because we set an astronomical goal. Mm-hmm. No, we're close to that goal. And then I feel guilty. It's like, you know, so busy having fun over here mm-hmm. that I forgot to be responsible mm. over here. And this is on my plate. And there's no one else to blame except for me. So now I have this feel like I have to do both because it's like I've made the team effective here. What we're doing is great here, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I have to be responsible over here. So again, like that's one example of where get very deep into the things that I love and very mm-hmm. passionate about but I know I have to be responsible to m- allow these things to happen mm-hmm. so I have to do the hard work this other stuff yeah and I just think there's an opportunity there for um, well there are two things that you said that struck me one was that you set an astronomical goal mm-hmm. and I thought to myself well why would you set an astronomical goal why wouldn't you set <laughs> it's the ethos a realistic no. goal just to go get our ethos let's double it that's the so, I mean, the thing is about goal setting is that it's really, really um, diminishing to set a goal that you can't reach. I know mm-hmm. this. I chair the fundraising committee for my kid's school, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we set these really lofty goals every year and we don't come near to making the goal. Mm-hmm. And it, it has such a, a negative impact on the morale of the community. Right, absolutely. So whereas next year, what we're going to do is we're going to actually lower the goals and make them more realistic. Mm-hmm. They're still stretched. A mm-hmm. Little, mm-hmm. And it'll be so different, I think, in terms of if we either hit it or almost hit it versus like, oh my gosh, we mm-hmm. didn't even come close to hitting yeah. it. Yeah, it's like right. so psychological at that it point. Is. when you don't like psychological. You're trying to fill a cup with water and it's like... You don't see it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, on the still on the psychological part of it, it's like what I also heard Matthew saying is that uh, here's the stuff over here I love to do. Mm-hmm. And here's this stuff over here that I have to do. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like, how can you change your relationship with the stuff over here? Mm-hmm. Can you make that fun? Is that, can that be interesting I, to you? I do find that fun. I can make that fun when I look at it as a game everything is a mm. game to me right and that, that's how I, I, I treat my life like anything i can accomplish like mm-hmm. i have that mindset i know i can do it but at the same time it's like when i get in the groove of something mm-hmm. it's just hard for me to do the context switching mm-hmm. and it's like okay well now i gotta do the thing i'm not so passionate about right now and it's all this idea that i find myself getting into these grooves of momentum which i love mm. right? when i'm in the zone and I have the momentum, mm-hmm. my gosh, I'm just right. like firing on all cylinders and like 20, 30, 50 things are coming out of me. And then when I have to switch the gears mm-hmm. and then do the other thing, it's like, okay, it's a putter. It's a little <laughs> slow, like trying to start up the engine over there. It's, it's a little bit tougher. So. And does the engine ever get going? It does. Okay. It does when I have to shut everything else off over here and then focus on this other thing. So it's the context switching, you know, mm-hmm. I know there's a tax to that when 
you're, you're, you have so much momentum so that's just very very hard to do at times yeah and just to keep those things balanced right well, it's like I, as i tell my kids like it's like yeah there's plenty of things that you know i know you really love to play basketball all day and you still need to go to school and you still have to spend time brushing your teeth and you know like taking yeah. a bath or a shower like you have there are certain things that you just have to do and mm-hmm. I think it helps if you just shift your mindset and think like, oh, think about it as a game. I love that tactic. Mm-hmm. That's good. Like, mm-hmm. like, how can I make this fun for myself? Mm-hmm. And then it's about time management and really structuring and being disciplined about how much time you need to spend on each thing in order for them to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. So if if there really is this, um, is, it, is it 50-50? I mean, what do you think it is in terms of your responsibility? How does it how does it break down? It feels like 50-50, mm-hmm. but the time I'm dedicating is more like 70-30. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I know it should be 50-50. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just, I think I'm just having a difficult time prioritizing the many things that yeah. we can do. And others here are pretty good at just saying no. Mm. And I'm not great at saying no right now mm-hmm. just because again it goes back to the feeling so responsible for many things mm-hmm. that it's well, hard to just stuff. changed it to not yet not yet that's <laughs> a good <laughs> not yet that's a good one yeah because you're know, shutting it down or maybe later let's put it in the affirmative mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right it's like <laughs> that's it's a hard that's a hard one boundaries are are mm-hmm. are tough and mm-hmm. as leaders, you need to have healthy boundaries in so many ways, like whether it's people demanding your time, mm-hmm. um, when to shut off work and when to keep working, because I think a lot of leaders could relate to the fact that you could work 24 seven, right? Mm-hmm. Because your brain is always going, that's the same yeah. for me in my business too. Right. So it's like, where do you, where do you establish boundaries in, in your, your work and your life that support you being able to sprint? Mm-hmm. and finish the marathon, right. Right? right? It's like, what does that look like for you? And how do you learn to, how do you learn to say no in a way that feels like it's kind, clear, supportive, that you've let the person feel heard? Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways, this is a problem, I think, in a lot of, a lot of agencies or service-oriented businesses where your client comes and asks you for something and you, of course, want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they they give you a brief and a budget and then you say, okay, and then you go back and you think to yourself, there's no way this can be done for this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, so a lot of people and organizations will just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And they either burn people out or they suffer on the profit margin, mm-hmm. um, instead of just going back and having that conversation and saying, sounds like you wanna really do all of these things, mm-hmm. let's look at what the real costs are to that mm-hmm. and figure out a way to either scale back the scope of work or mm-hmm. increase the budget. Right. Or maybe it's on timeframes. It's like, wow, that, that's such a great idea that you have. I really wanna implement that. Let's look at that in one month. Come back to me and remind me that we should look at that again. Right. That's the challenging. That's, these are things I'm working through. And I'm glad we're, we're surfacing these because I think in the client service business, mm-hmm. there's a detachment. They're over there and I'm uh-huh. over here. So yeah. I'm, I'm really good at saying no yeah. to them. Like I'm, but now it's your baby. Right, exactly. There's mm-hmm. no emotional attachment mm-hmm. there. It's like the work is the work and I'm very objective there. But now that it's all internal, 
it's our baby. Mm-hmm. It's a di- it's very yeah. different. There's a responsibility, just like you as a parent to your child. You do have an emotional attachment, mm-hmm. and it's hard to sever that or be completely mm-hmm. objective at moments. So that's how I feel about <clears throat> this new business, this new venture. But these are things that I know over time I can develop them if I am actively working towards them. It's just you know I got thrown in the deep end. And I'm trying to swim. I'm trying to figure out. But you see, you know how to swim. And that's what I would remind you (laughs) Mm. is that you have the muscles built already. Mm -hmm. Because you said when you were doing it with a client, you knew how to manage that well and have those boundaries. And it's just now that the emotional attachment is there. Mm -hmm. It's become murky. Mm -hmm. right? So the water's murky, but you still know how to swim. Mm-hmm. You just have to activate those muscles again mm-hmm. and start to apply what you already know to this environment, even though it's internal. Because mm-hmm. in many ways, that would be a really healthy way to look mm-hmm. at the situation. Because otherwise, it gets very enmeshed. Yeah. Right? You start kind of becoming one with the business and like living, <laughs> eating, breathing, and right. like there, there's no separation. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you experience that too, Mark? Or? Um, a little bit. I guess. Or do you have a different challenge? Um, well, yeah, not, not so much in this area since um, in this company, I'm new to management for mm-hmm. you know, the past six months. I've had some leadership roles in past jobs too, but here it is a lot different since we are our own clients. So mm-hmm. um, I see what Matthew is going through. Me personally, I haven't experienced it as much, uh-huh. right? But what I do see... Um, is the culture that we have here starting to build since we are a new company, mm-hmm. we have new faces, we've shifted from, really it's been a complete pivot from you know, the, old, the old culture and old people. So something that we're seeing here is like this turn of the company culture and we're really trying to learn what that is and you know, how do we you know, facilitate like an easier kind of uh, more open and inviting culture here when that hasn't really been, you know, here for a long time. So the old culture was, how would you describe it? It was a lot more lively. I mean, mm-hmm. there were more people here working. We had a lot of freelancers in and out, depending on the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more full-time people. Um, now we're, you know, we are hiring a little bit more, so there are more bodies here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are starting to you know, learn who each other are and how we work together. Um, I do see that maybe we need to just have more sort of like team building type of activities. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced that in past jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, some were great, some were a little cheesy, but... Um, which ones are great? Which ones are great? Um, a lot of uh, active kind of like... Uh, I'm, I like sports, uh-huh. so anything that had to do with anything active, I liked. Um, did you guys go like zip lining or something like that or we, yeah we did a lot of stuff in my past or, jobs uh-huh. yeah so yeah it was it was you know it had budget I think that was a big uh-huh. part of it too so we had an allocated budget monthly for our team to do mm-hmm. things here you know we do have budget um, but we have little time mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. um, but just wanted to get your take since you've worked with so many companies big and small um, as us being a small bootstrap company, what mm-hmm. kind of advice would you give uh, to kind of it, you know stir that co- company culture with activities and that type of stuff? I just, I mean, I really 
acknowledge you for focusing in on it because I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. Right? What I hear is that it's about engagement, right? It's like, how do you engage the people that are here mm-hmm. in a way that's meaningful? Right. And uh, I try to I try to stay out of the advice giving category and mm-hmm. just be more of the mm. a person who asks good questions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you think that the people in this organization, maybe the ones that are newer and the ones that are older, mm-hmm. what would engage them? What would be interesting to them knowing that there's little time available and mm-hmm. some budget or no budget? You know, mm-hmm. It almost doesn't matter. The money part of it is, I think if you don't have budget, it's actually great because then you get way more creative. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you do, it's it's like, that's great too. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But what do you think they need? Like what mm-hmm. would be the most meaningful to them? Mm-hmm. Or how could you find out? Right. Maybe to start, it's having internal meetings to talk about it. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should talk you about it. Well, you could ask them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's so powerful because it's like they're creating the culture. Mm-hmm. They're having input right. rather than saying, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to go to our frozen yogurt run tonight. <laughs> right. uh-huh. um, it's like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what would be fun for you? Mm-hmm. I know you, when I was here before, you had those, um, were they like dance breaks or something? There was like the music oh, yeah. came on. We still have oh, that five o'clock yeah. break. Yeah, and uh, music comes on and then we just play yeah. video games or do whatever, uh-huh. chill out. Just play ping pong. And is this games. culture responsive to that, this new group of people? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing that's working. Which yeah, is mm-hmm. carried over for sure. Mm-hmm. So what are some other things? Like, I know you said you could ask them, which is great, mm-hmm. get them involved in the process, but do you have any intuitive hits on what might work based on what you did before in your old company? Mm, celebrating sm- the small wins, I think, mm-hmm. could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with us always trying to drive for big goals, it's like, you know, let's sometimes maybe sit down and just look back and appreciate yeah. what we did and what we've accomplished. I think we could do that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we could all, as managers, take responsibility of that too. I don't think it's mm-hmm. w- something that only has to come from you know, CEO. Chris or the mm-hmm. boss. Right. We're all responsible for that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and to make it a, a regular part of your world, whether it's monthly or quarterly, or I think it's actually more important to do it regularly. Quarterly mm-hmm. seems even maybe uh, too far too apart. Far, too mm-hmm. far apart. But what you're right. talking about is so mm-hmm. important, right? Right, right. Because it's especially with entrepreneurial companies that are building and growing so fast. So when do you pause to take a breath and look at what you've done? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember that that line from A Star is Born. I don't know if you saw the movie with uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, but mm-hmm. um, she says, he asked her to go on tour with him. And she's like, oh, I have to stay here because this big producer wants to, you know, they got out a single, but now they wanted to work on the album. Mm-hmm. And he says to her, listen to what you just said. And she's like, what? He said, listen to what you just said. They want to hear what you have to say. They're going to, they want you to stay here to produce an album. Like take that moment, just let it in, take it in. Mm-hmm. Like that's a win. This mm-hmm. is something you've been striving your whole life for. Mm-hmm. So one way I do that with leaders is I use a process um, that a woman named Nancy Klein who wrote a book called uh, Time to Think. Mm-hmm. And then she wrote a second book called More Time to Think. Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> <creative titles. laughs> so um, 
what she created was a process called thinking sessions where she usually does them with just two people where she'll sit with the person as their coach and mm -hmm. say to them, um, you know, Matthew, uh, what would you like to think about today and what are your thoughts? And then you'll talk and I would just listen for 45 minutes. Actively listen, looking at you, being fully engaged, deeply listening, caring about what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And during that process, you might do stream of consciousness, go round and round and round, but you'll have space to share. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So in groups, and I did this with one of my VP groups, is that I would just do a thinking round, right? So I would give each person between three and seven minutes, depending on how much time you have. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I would ask them is, share a win, small or big? Mm -hmm. And... Everyone just listens and holds a space for that person to really share. And if they can't think of a win, I say think of a failure and share the learning, mm -hmm. which would be powerful for your team, especially if you're trying to get back into that culture of yeah. right. growth mindset and it's okay to fail and make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So what's really cool about it is that everybody has that space and what was told actually recently, I just asked someone, so, well, you know, what did you think about the, the, the VP sessions overall? I was like, you know, that first one we did was so powerful. He's like, you remember that one where everybody shared a win? <laughs> and I said, tell me why. And he said, because I felt like I got into each person's brain. Like mm -hmm. I got a little mm -hmm. bit, like I got to see inside of their head mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people are just thinking stream of consciousness. They're not going to be interrupted which is another great thing to kind of teach and experience and learn. Yeah, no pressure for no, them to no kind of pressure. rush a thought or something. Just to listen. And everybody gets this kind of the floor to share about a win. And so it's so powerful and it creates such a bond of intimacy mm, with mm -hmm. the people that are in the room that it does create engagement and help with culture building. I see. And it's interactive. It's a little different than sports, right? There's lots of other kind of engaging things you can do that are physical mm -hmm. too, but that's more of a mental processing um, connection exercise. I see. Do you think that that could work here? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it hits so many different things, right? It hits like, well, we're sharing wins, we're pausing, we're appreciating, we're thinking, we're taking time for ourselves, we're yeah. learning about someone else right, and their thought right. process, and we're holding space, we're practice, practicing the skill of silence and listening, mm -hmm. and there's, there's a lot in it. It's very juicy. Yeah, know? that's how you really connect with each other on a different level rather mm -hmm. than just a working relationship. Yeah. I like yeah. that. And you combine that with other, you know, maybe more physical things like your, you know, obstacle courses that you go do or, mm -hmm. you know, you can take a hike or right yeah. here in Santa Monica, yep. like Santa Monica mountains or, you know, those kinds of things that might be a little more um, on the physical realm. Okay. As long as it's not a trust fall. No, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done we had no. to do that once. <laughs> Yeah, that, that didn't go well. <laughs> I think that would be hard for me too. Did people drop other people? No, it just it just felt it felt cheesy. Yeah. 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 That could the one that I like to do the most is the marshmallow challenge. I don't know if you've ever done that no. one. What is that? You get you get pieces of spaghetti. Every group gets a certain amount of spaghetti, a marshmallow, some twine and some tape, and you have to build a structure in a certain amount of time uh -huh. and it's really really fascinating process so it's super fun mm -hmm. and interactive but you learn so much about each individual strengths and how they approach a problem or whatever mm. and it's just that i was talking about it today with um 
the woman I was meeting at that large organization I mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh my gosh, I love that team building exercise. And I said, what's fascinating about it is when they look at the results and like it's on, you can Google it and you'd find it. But when you look at the results of people that have done it over time, the people that do the best are preschoolers. So mm. like you have like preschoolers, like admin assistants, um, MBA students, CEOs, like, you know, the spectrum mm -hmm. and the preschoolers do the best. Now, why do you think that might be? Hmm. It's because they're not close minded. Yeah. Mm. More open to ideas and helping each other. Yep. Anything is possible. Uh-huh. They're not, they haven't been battered down with 30 <laughs> years, 40 years of yep. life telling them things that they can't do. Exactly. And what are they willing to do in that process that would be different than maybe the other categories? Fail. Yes. There's no mm. pressure in failure because they don't know what that is. Yes. And um. what they do to get the structure up and built is they build a prototype. It fails. Mm -hmm. They build another one. Right. They learn. Mm -hmm. They build another one. So it's iterative, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the failure. Mm -hmm. They learn and they get it right. Most of my team, actually, some of the... Um, some of the teams that I've worked with have never gotten a structure up hmm. at all. And I've had people with architectural degrees on my team. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so another big learning from it is like people will strive to build the tallest structure. And this maybe speaks to your point, Matthew, about mm. like your astronomical goals mm. and your, you know, the thing with the structure and this challenge is that the higher, because it has to be freestanding on right. the table, right. the higher you go, the harder it is for it to stand right. on its own. So with the preschoolers, they don't care about how high it is. They just want to get something up that works. Right. Right. And there's some, <laughs> there's some learning there, right? There's some insight in that. Right. There's so much we can learn from kids and their perspective and right. that mindset before the veil comes down. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I learned this. I heard this recently from a, um, a workshop I did with Duncan Wardle. He was the uh, former chief innovation officer at Disney uh -huh. and uh, he said we have to learn to think childlike mm -hmm. not childish yes. mm -hmm. right so it's like just being open to that wonder again mm -hmm. where things are possible rather than what's not mm -hmm. so these are things that I've, I've been hearing lately it's been percolating and it's like us talking about is helpful for me to just remap it to all the challenges that we're having here be personally mm -hmm. and then also looking at well looks like there's a lot of different ways to solve this if we start looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. So this is very uh, revealing to me, just having said a lot of these things now. And you might even like have some sort of an image that you put, you know, I don't know if there's glasses that you would wear as a kid, like, you know, <coughs> your younger version of yourself, or was there a hat that you always wore or whatever that mm -hmm. reminds you of, of when you were a child. And mm -hmm. so when you have right. one of these situations occur, you think, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to put on, I'm going to put on my five-year-old glasses, right. mm. or I'm going to put on this, like, you know, four-year-old hat mm -hmm. and, uh, and approach it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I would even say with the, you know, with your challenge, with your time management, with, it's supposed to be 50-50, but you're really spending 70% of the time on the free stuff and 30% of the time of, on the business-related money-making. Yeah. It's like, what you know, what could you do from a childlike perspective? How could you, you know, use your X-ray five-year-old vision mm -hmm. to make that fun and exciting and move that up right. to even 40 or 45%? Right. I see. 
I think we can accomplish that because we have, I mean, we have younger people here. So, I mean, for me personally, it's easy to act child like uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Less, uh, trying to mix that with childish, but, yeah, right. um, but I, I like that approach mm-hmm. and it really makes sense when you're kind of putting it in that perspective that um, Duncan Wardle mm-hmm. had mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where innovation happens, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the sweet spot for it right. because it's things that other people would think can't be done. Right. And a kid doesn't think that way. That's kid why they do. Anything, they right. rock that spaghetti right. marshmallow challenge. Kids have the know? best imagination. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're willing to fail, which is, I think, just one of the key lessons of, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the whole conversation. Just like, how can we, how can we make that okay? Not right. only for the culture here, but for, for you as a leader. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a thoughtful uh, <laughs> question for you over the next yeah you know, definitely days. something i'll be pondering and mm-hmm. just processing but it's 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 surfaced now mm-hmm. which is great so i'm self-aware of that where before it was just feelings yeah now they're words now they're things now there's examples so now i can start looking at that this is my new game to solve. Mm-hmm. And that's the process, right? So something is unaware in our consciousness. It's a blind spot. And as a coach, this is part of what I do to try to draw these things out and make them more visible. Mm-hmm. You get the insight. Right. You have that awareness now. And then you can apply an actionable thing to it, right? A, right. a process, a, an idea, a system, a, right. you know, to, to make it real mm-hmm. when the situation comes up. So what are you guys taking away? Anything anything really struck a chord with you? How about for you, Mark? Mm, I think going back to you know, the initial question that I had about just like being an assertive mm-hmm. speaker and um, not thinking that if I'm a soft-spoken person, that mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you can't be assertive mm-hmm. or clear about um, explaining goals or feeling like you can describe something to an employee to, to get the job done. Um, I think you're able to help me understand that that's, you know, that's not the case mm-hmm. and that it can also be seen as, you know, as a positive. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a big thing that I picked you, up. What would you like it to be? Like what, if you, if you could like draw a picture of your ideal self mm-hmm. and up your level of assertiveness by X percent, like what would that percentage be and what would it look like? Like how would you be different? Mm-hmm. So what would the percentage be? Hmm. I mean, I could, you know, ask for a hundred percent, you know, double it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't know. It's hard to kind of think of well, it that so way. Yeah. Let, let me phrase it a different way. Yeah. So what would be 50% realistic? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think on a scale of one to 10, what, how assertive do you think you are? One being the least assertive, 10 being the most assertive. So seven. So seven. Yeah. And what would you want it to be? 10. You'd want it to be a 10. Yeah, okay. I'd want so it to be a 10. You're not that far off, right? Okay. So there's this like this little, this little jump, right? Mm-hmm. So, and what would it look like if you were a 10? Mm-hmm. We know what it looks like as a seven. You've mm-hmm. kind of talked about that. What would a 10 look like? Like yeah. you're in a room, uh, you're in a conference room, there's lots of people and you're having a meeting about, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. next quarter in the astronomical <laughs> that you're going to set. Right. What does it look like for you to be I a 10 see. in that meeting? How is it different than you as a seven? Right. I think what we imagine it should look like is like 
you know, boiler room, you know, very masculine, mm-hmm. like barking orders. But the way I'd like it to be is like, maybe like Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's very sort of calm, yep. collected, mm-hmm. knows, you know, very clear what he wants, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem like he's scattered in thought mm-hmm. and, you know, direct. And what helps you get to that place? So if you invoke your inner Bruce Lee, like how do you get to that place? Is there, a, is there anything that you do in advance? Like does it require some people like to write their thoughts down in order mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. that place? Some people, like for me, it's three deep breaths, mm-hmm. right? To like calm my nervous system down and, mm-hmm. and just kind of get into a clear space. Is there anything you can think of that helps you get into your, yeah. your Bruce Lee place? I think it's Bruce Lee on your yeah. inside. A thousand <laughs> on push-ups on one finger. Your, your screensaver. <laughs> Bruce Lee. No, seriously, these are all yeah, yeah. external affirmations, mm-hmm. right? To help you, help you get centered. Right. I think the times that I've felt that way, mm-hmm. um, or when I've been more physically active and on a regular workout routine. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, the physical physical will help the mental side. Um, completely because in those times my mind was more clear mm-hmm. my voice was a lot more resonant mm-hmm. it didn't feel shaky and yeah my body felt better mm-hmm. I think that was a big part of it so there's something about the physicality and you being in a regular routine of challenging your body and you know mm-hmm. getting it the exercise that it needs that allows you to be more calm and steady and clear thinking in in the workplace. Right. So what are you right. gonna do with that information? I need to make the time to mm-hmm. hit the gym, <laughs> do more physical activity. And I feel like I lost a lot of that because I went through an injury. Uh-huh. I was pretty active up until then doing triathlons and then mm. I stopped like 100%. And then I hit a wall. Mm. And then I felt like, all right, well, where do I go with my sort of my career yeah. as a leader? because I felt like I didn't have that you know, in my gut because I wasn't being physically active. But now I, I can put the time in, it's just I have, to, I have to make it happen. So there's a priority that you could place on your physical health. Right. And there's also, it sounds like another opportunity to, to know that you can still be a calm, collected leader regardless of if you're being physically active or not. Right. And then there's like this other idea that came up for me, which is like, even if you're not running triathlons, it's like, if you know that that gets you into that space, mm-hmm. what can you do before that meeting, right? Can mm-hmm. you do 10 push-ups? Yeah. Right? And this is what they used to do. Like my son had trouble focusing, right? He's got a lot of energy. My husband mm-hmm. used to joke that he had, um, uh, what did he say? It wasn't caffeine running through his veins, but it was something like that. Electricity, right. electricity right. running through his veins. Since he was a baby, since he was like in my tummy, <laughs> and he's just like that. So when he was in preschool, they they were like, he's having trouble focusing in the morning meeting. They have a morning meeting every morning at 9.30. And so one of the recommendations we got was to have him do heavy physical activity, heavy, not run around on the swings. So they had these huge tires at the school, <laughs> big, big tires in the mm-hmm. sand pit. Mm-hmm. And I forget why they got them donated or whatever, but they would have him move the tires from one side of the sand pit to the other. Mm-hmm. And the result was he would be able to go into the morning meeting and sit and focus and be calm and really present. 
because his nervous system had relaxed, right? He wasn't in that hyperactive. Yeah. So maybe are there things you could do, you know, even kind of ad hoc, like Mm -hmm. in the moment or right before, in addition, of course, making time for yourself to go to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. Anything come up? Maybe it's, you know, taking a mental stop where, you know, I take a breath. It's, and I've tried meditation in the past, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's I go into a room if I feel like I'm not, you know, myself or if I'm off. Yeah. Um, luckily, we do have some exercise equipment here and well, quiet rooms. I was just rooms. around. Like, I've yeah. been staring at this thing. Got, I'm like, is yeah, that got, like a Gravitron? <laughs> like yeah, we got pull-up bars. We've yeah. got some weights here. So. so you have the opportunity to, like, before you go into a conference room, to mm-hmm. do some pull-ups and push-ups. And <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Or maybe another thing is just, yeah, to clear my thoughts, just, you know, being very... Deliberate, uh, deliberate about how I'm taking my notes yeah. rather than I feel like I get scatterbrained too much uh, if there's too much on my plate. Mm-hmm. So just understanding what I have to do and then prioritize and then once that's on paper then my mind could be a lot more clear yeah. in other things. I think lists are underrated in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I think sometimes we think and I've just totally fall into this category where I think I can mentally hold it Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I get complete mental overload because there's too much. Like I might have my work list and then I have my like what groceries we need or stuff we need for the household, what I need to pack for the kids lunch. Like I have all of the stuff that right. is mm-hmm. just because I'm CEO of my company and my household. So it's right. very, right. very like, yeah. heavy mental burden. And when I put it down on a list, like you say, just all of a sudden it's like, oh. yeah, you kind of feel yeah. the burden kind of. Reducing. Then you get the, the next level of that, which is when you get get it done and you cross it off, you get a dopamine hit, and right. that's cool too. Yeah, right? yeah. So like yeah, I make lists just to cross things off. Right. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> make a list. Yeah. Check. <laughs> well, that's so, cool. So yeah. you feel like you have some action steps in yes. terms of helping yourself move from that seven to a ten in terms of being an assertive. Mm-hmm. more assertive and whatever that looks like for you. And yes. that's the reminder I wanted to say is that a quiet leader is still, still can be an assertive leader, right? Mm-hmm. And we need, we need more of you. I mean, there's cool. so many times in a room of leaders where I just want to say, everyone <laughs> just be quiet, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And little by little, like one person speak at a time. And that's another thing too, is that Mm. leaders like talk over each other and interrupt and, and it can be hard in that environment if you grew up in a way that was like more of a observe versus lean in and speak Mm -hmm. when there's a lot of big personalities and loud voices, Mm -hmm. it can cause you to retreat and retract and it'd be great to do like with the thinking rounds is just establish a protocol where if someone's speaking, you hold a space mm-hmm. and you let them finish. And one of the things that I've been teaching to a lot of my clients by modeling it when I facilitate is saying, are you complete? Mm-hmm. Before anyone else moves on, they mm-hmm. say, are you complete? And they mm-hmm. say, yes. And then, then you can move can on. Speak. I see. So it's kind of like the version of a talking stick without the actual talking stick, right? right. The old time, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. What are you taking away, Matthew? The let go of a couple of things. Mm. A little bit more. Uh, already seeing little moments, just reflecting on the week, 
where those things could have happened or mm. I could do more of that. So I know there are things I can do there. I can empower people to have more responsibility and be okay with them failing mm-hmm. without having the pressure to feel like I am responsible for that, feel guilty for that, or have to report to somebody else mm-hmm. for that. So those things are, I'm starting to realize those things. I think the other thing too <clears throat> that I'm actively and have been actively working on is trying to compartmentalize my life a little bit more mm-hmm. and to say no a little bit more often. So those, are the, those are the two big things I think just lately it just piled up in terms of the queue mm-hmm. and I've been overwhelmed as a result of that. But I mm-hmm. think it's because I said yes too much lately rather than saying no, maybe later. So those are, th- those are the key things that I've taken away and I'm just going to be needing to reflect on and continue to see where I might apply that. I like that. So saying no or having some clear boundaries mm-hmm. around what you say yes to. Mm-hmm. And you can, of course, do that in a clear and kind way. Of course. And, um, and then learning how to let go a little bit and release some of that sense of what I would call over-responsibility. Mm-hmm. So there's being responsible as a leader and then... Sometimes as people, depending on our upbringing, again, we have a sense of over-responsibility. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to release. Because mm-hmm. we want to take responsibility. As a leader, it's really important to say, you know what? I messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do that differently next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's great because that's modeling that for your, for your staff, too. Right. So you want to take responsibility. And we want to think about what the word responsibility can mean, which is our ability to respond. Mm-hmm. in any situation we have control over that mm-hmm. we have control over our response no one else's response mm-hmm. so so that's great so learning how to let go of, of the over responsibility and step more into lean more into letting staff team experiment be challenged mm-hmm. make mistakes and fail at a level that it won't destroy the business, right? right. It's just a fine line. <laughs> it won't close the doors. Right. Right. But you, as le- you, you've been here long enough to know what that will look like. Sometimes it's just a matter of like, it's just uncomfortable, right? Right. right. So you have to get kind of comfortable with that discomfort. Correct. And then I think the big thing that we need to work on is the culture. The culture. And playing more, right? Mm-hmm. Just understand what do people need mm-hmm. and then figuring out how to address that because I know that's something that we need to work on and we want to bring that back mm-hmm. so that we're all productive, happy, and enjoy coming to work every day. Right. Yeah, playing more. I like that intention, right? Playing more mm-hmm. and then finding out what they need is, is asking, inquiring, and getting them involved in creating whatever it is they want this culture to be mm-hmm. Right. and what it takes to get there. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. On that note, I think yeah. it's probably a good place to end. My body clock is telling me. Great. <laughs> it's been a long day for you. I acknowledge yeah. you having the, the boundaries and listening to that internal barometer. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. All right. Well, thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you so much. For sitting down pleasure. with us. Uh, and this, this has been awesome. And thank you, everyone, who's been watching and been chilling uh, with us. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. 
If you're new to the future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and products covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Barrow with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's a tremendous help in getting our message out there. And, you know, let's us know what you like. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.